And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam. Hey, hey, hey. How are you doing this this uh, fine day? Uh, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm really excited about this episode. I, I feel like it's been a while since we did a character-centric one. Like, so... Or maybe not. I don't know. What was the, what was the most recent character centered episode we did? Literally the last actual episode we did, which was about cable. Oh, that's right. That didn't really feel like a cable episode, though. So I'm, I don't know. Uh, this one, though, I don't think we've really spent a lot of time talking about uh, want you cuckoo cannonball. <laughs> so I'm See, excited OK, about this. OK, OK. So I. I was going for uh, the anti-slavery ballad, My Old Kentucky Home. Oh, okay. Uh, You went in a very different direction with this. (laughs) Uh, I can't. It's the 90s kid in me. I I can't think about Cannonball without thinking about that song. See, the problem is I was born in Lexington, so I have some sort of connection to Kentucky, regardless of the fact that I did not spend a ton of time there. Did you have time to develop your accent or no? I developed literally no Kentucky accent because (laughs) I spent most of my formative years in Ohio. And then after that in Indiana for a little bit. And they don't have accents in those places, I assume. Guys, if you think I have an accent, keep that to yourself. Well, everybody has an accent, really. It's just, uh, you know, where we where we think we come from. Right. But I'll tell you who does definitely have an accent is uh, Mr. Guthrie here, who uh, God knows how many siblings he has and uh, goes on a bunch of really wild adventures in this episode. <laughs> he really does. It's funny because, you know, I thought that this episode was going to be your number one good Kentucky boy podcast. Sure. But not it's not just your number one good Kentucky boy podcast. This is your number one good Kentucky boy podcast goes to space and has adventures podcast yeah i was gonna say like all of these stories involve going into space we um, didn't plan them that way no. we just said what's some cannonball stories we like yeah so it's this is the cannonball in space hour so welcome to that um <laughs> cannonball in space hour is better and i don't want to write your good kentucky boy goes to space podcast in the feed <laughs> so that's our new title for this episode going to just scratch that out love it Love it, love it, love it. Perfect. Thank you for making me type significantly fewer letters. And do you know else who I'm thanking, Adam? Uh, Well, we're going to start with a Patreon request here. So uh, who requested our first story, Zach? The good fellow Sam Fryer went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files, pitched in some money and said, guys, listen. There was a time once. It was called the 90s. The heroes (laughs) were gone. Some say they had been reborn somewhere, but others weren't sure when they were going to return. And in that in that time, in this post-onslaught era, Cannonball fought Gladiator. And then there was another story going on with it in space that's less exciting. 
but <laughs> Sam wanted us to talk about that story. So they threw a couple of dollars our way and we want to say, Sam, thank you so very much. I wonder, Sam, thank you. I wonder if Sam likes Sam because his name is Sam. I, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. I have always been a big Cannonball fan. and I forgot uh, Cannonball's name was Sam for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I didn't mean I, that for that to be a curveball for you. No, uh, you, I know I know Samuel Zachariah Guthrie's name is actually not Zachariah. Uh, I'm pretty sure his middle name is Zachary, but spelled different than I would spell the full version of my name. Yeah, uh, he spells it with an E like a friggin' punk. <laughs> I've got a I've got a big bird ornament that my great grandma on my mother's or my grandmother's side got me and it says Zachary with an E and I'm very appreciative of it. But ever since I could read, I said, that's friggin' wrong. That's not, <laughs> not at all. What are you doing? That's not my name, Big Bird. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we should get to we should get to Sam's request. Uh, it's Uncanny X Men three forty one through three forty four. It was written by professional comic book writer Scott Lobdell with pencils by Joe Mad. And does anyone else do pencils? Uh, Salvador La Roca does some pencils on this. Yeah, the and, last issue. Uh, Melvin Ruby. Well, I think it's also important to note that Tim Townsend does the inks on this because I'm not always a huge Joe Mad fan, but when Tim is inking him, it's great. Like he reins in some of Joe Mad's style a little bit. And, uh, you know, Tim is Chris Bacallo's uh, longtime uh, inker. And I think it it really refines that style and does a really nice job with it. Um, we're starting here with kind of an homage really to um, – the X-Men at Rockefeller Center. Um, and Celebrate Christmas. Yeah, and it's Christmas. So what's happening here? Well, the X-Men are a little weird. The uncanny team right now is Beast, Bishop, mm -hmm. Cannonball, yep. Gambit, Rogue, and Joseph. Oh, Joseph, you know about favorite. Joseph. <laughs> Joseph's not Magneto. <laughs> Uh, but he, they think he might be. Gambit is convinced um, in this era that that Joseph is is Magneto. Doesn't trust him. Uh, there's a little bit of a love triangle going on here with Rogue. A lot of bit of a love triangle because Joseph creates something, something's the Zanox something. I'm pretty sure it was referenced in Onslaught, so it's not that far of a stretch to reference it in this story. Something, something. Your powers don't work, so we can kiss on top of the World Trade Center. Right. Yeah. Gives her gives her a nice uh, gentlemanly smooch on the forehead. Um, yeah. I don't like Joseph and I don't like <laughs> I don't like the Joseph and Rogue relationship, mostly because I don't like Joseph and he's so boring. And it's such a blatant attempt to say, well, dang, people really did like Age of Apocalypse, didn't they? You know, I don't really hate it here. Generally, I do not like Joseph. I do not like, I'm not a Magneto rogue shipper either. So like, there's no basis for it for me. Um, but that really is not the focus of this issue. Uh, the focus of this issue is the cannibal gets to fight Gladiator at FAO Schwartz. And it's dope. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. How do you feel about Gladiator? I don't think we've talked much about Gladiator on our, uh, what is it, 80 episodes of this podcast that we've done so far. I mean, uh, the Imperial Guard in general are, are, 
are pretty fun. You know, they, they're just kind of like crazy creations. They were created as a parody of somebody, right? Yeah. Aren't the they... Legion of Superheroes. Right. So, um, Gladiator is supposed to be Superboy. Yeah. And, and it's got, you know, great mohawks and purple skin. A very good mohawk. Yeah. And I and... love that his, I love that his power is his self-confidence. It's like, <laughs> I'm unstoppable as long as I think I am, which is a very five-year-old power. Yeah, this is one of the more more fun uh, fight scenes that we've had a chance to talk about because it lasts for multiple pages. Um, Cannonball is just kind of winging it as he goes. He doesn't know if he can beat um, it, Gladiator, and <laughs> Gladiator is really sure that he can beat Sam, and that's not how it shakes out. Nope, nope. Sam, uh, Sam ends up being nigh invulnerable when he's blasting. Mm-hmm just enough to shake gladiator's confidence yeah there's this great moment where uh gladiator punches him with his quote unquote most powerful blow which does raise the question how do you measure something like that and you measure uh, it in you measure it in numbers and that blow was easily <laughs> over nine thousand, adam <laughs> on a scale of uh, on a scale of dragon ball z oh See, I'm not familiar with that. Is that I've a, never is that watched any Dragon Ball Z. I just know that people yelling, it's over 9,000 when they're talking about power level is a thing oh. on the internet. So I assumed some of our listeners would pick up that reference and think we have more credibility in the nerd spheres than we do, regardless of the fact that multiple times we've talked about how little I know about manga. Yeah, I think we've been pretty upfront about our, our limitations in the anime manga world. Um, but it is great to see Cannonball like coming out of his blast field saying, so tell me, partner, was that your best shot? I, I just there's something so much fun about that. I love uh, Sam. He's such a good boy. He's such a good boy. Well, and it's classic gladiator because, of course, he's beating the heck out of Sam and Sam's beating the heck out of him. But really, it was he's just there to get their attention so he can send the rest of the team into space to fight the phalanx. Yeah, the team um, and Trish, Trish Tilby, who does nothing, right? Like, she's there, but what's she well, do for the next three issues? She she wears a, a, a very sexy costume. Um, this is true. This yep. is true. And I mean, she's not the only one who gets some romance in the stars because Bishop uh, finds a colony that Gladiator told the X-Men to look for. Mm -hmm. And who should be on the colony but Deathbird? Yes. Who starts to flirt with Bishop? <laughs> there does seem to be a little bit of tension there. Um, there's Chris also... Claremont ships them, which is wild. I mean, I hey, why not? I can kind of see it. Because um... it's Deathbird. Who cares about Deathbird? <laughs> Maybe Bishop does. Um, Her name is Callie C. And then we get we get some nice Rogan Gambit moments here too. Um, because we get we get Rogue admitting that she loves Gambit more than she loves Joseph, which is nice. Yeah, yeah especially yeah. considering uh, in like less than uh, less than ten issues, what's going to go down? Yeah, we get the trial of Gambit right after this, right? Yeah, yeah, real soon after this. Yeah. Um, so they fight the phalanx. Um, the phalanx are not like we saw in Phalanx Covenant. They kind of look like um, I, I'm trying to think of what's a good comparison here for these guys. They're they're all uh, they're tall, black with like blade spiky arms, but they don't yeah. look any, anything like the phalanx we've seen before. No, I don't I don't get it because the phalanx have taken over uh, Chandelar, the uh, 
the Shi'ar homeworld, and they are going to break all the Shi'ar eggs, more or less? Sure. And the X-Men have to stop them. And it's really boring and kind of just a non-resolution because these these don't even feel like the phalanx from the phalanx covenant these just feel like generic aliens like i don't i don't know what this story is trying to say or what this story is trying to do it's just a punch them up that first issue for at christmas is fun though um yeah i mean i don't really have a problem with this in fact i kind of like it um Ooh. i think that the joe mad stuff it, it just it has a cartoony fun quality to it you know it's christmas we're going to go to space. We're going to fight uh, these monsters. There's going to be some romantic tension that's going to get worked out. I think where it falls apart is in the last issue of the arc, which is 344. Um, we get, instead of Joe Mad, we get this guy, Melvin Ruby, uh, yep. jumping in. And he's doing his very best Jim Lee impression. Um, it's not great. You know, it takes the story from a tone that is really kind of fun and silly almost, you know, because Joe Mad has that really like kind of fun cartoony quality to his artwork mm -hmm. and brings it to another place that just does not work with this particular story. I think. Yeah, it's a, it doesn't work. I don't know this story. I feel nothing about. Um, yeah, I it's, have, I have it's no connection just... to it. I, I completely have forgotten already that I read it last week. Like, it's that little of a impact to me, except for that first issue, which is really good. I think you, you probably have a better impression of it if the last issue was not so anticlimactic. Like, I'm not really sure the way this is illustrated, the way it's written, like how they resolved the issue, to be honest. No. You know? OK, thank you. I thought I was just falling asleep. No, no. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it's just it's, like, oh, and now it's over. Right. Like Bishop talks about Beast having infected the phalanx with some sort of program or virus or something. But I, it how we got to that point and then we have Joseph having Holocaust flashbacks, um, you know, that the tone of this last issue is just really off from sort of like the fun, almost like, you know, swashbuckling space adventure feel of the, the first couple issues. Um, it. it, it just doesn't sync up. So if you're going to check this out, um, I think, you know, do the first three issues They're I think they're enjoyable, um, but you're not going to get much of a resolution out of the, the next one. So you might as well skip to 345 when you get maggot. You do get maggot next, <laughs> which we're not reviewing today. No, um, we have not talked about maggot at all on this podcast. And that day is going to come. And boy, I'm not sure we can fill three stories, but we're going to try. <laughs> um, so, all right, where does this go on the list? Because well, we, we have 189 stories on this list. We sure going do. Going from Days of Future Past and Gifted to Phoenix Legacy of Fire and Under the Draco. Uh, right in the right in that middle spot, actually right around the middle spot, we have a couple similar stories. We've got... Uh, Uncanny X-Men 273 to 277, Savage Land and Shi'ar stuff, which has Rogue and Magneto flirtiness, and it has weird Shi'ar stuff. And mm -hmm. we also have at 97, X Uncanny X-Men Twas the Night, which I uh, I like better than this. I, I like both of those stories better than this one. Yeah. Um, I think this has some charm to it, and it's kind of fun, but 
it's more of an homage to past better stories um, than it is, you know, a standalone, something that you, you might want to think, consider a classic. I will say though, I, I enjoyed reading it, you know, ex- with the exception of that last issue, I was having a lot of fun with it. I liked the art and um, you know, I, I kind of like, Hey, let's beam up to space and just punch up some aliens. Like that, that was fun. I've got a good comparison for you. All right, here we go. Do you like it better or worse than Phalanx Covenant Final Sanction, where Cable and his parents and Wolverine climb a mountain? I think I like this better. I like the art of this better. Um, I think three out of the four issues are really fun. Um, there's some good Rogue and Gambit stuff in here. So I I think I might hold off on putting it above 127, which is um, Kitty and Caliban's Wedding in the Sewer. What do you think about that? Yeah, I wasn't going to go any higher than that. I think I like it better than Final Sanction, but I don't have a good argument. I think you probably have a bit more tolerance for Joe Mad's art than I do. Okay. Like he's yeah. just as much as I love uh, Age of Apocalypse, Joe Mad's just not my guy. But I think I this being 128 is a good spot. All right, let's put it there. You know, with Joe Mad's art, I think, it, you know, it depends on who's inking him and, you know, I think where he's at as an artist in this era is is pretty darn good. You know, if you look at some of his earlier stuff, it, it doesn't seem as refined, but uh, it's nice here. So this is our new 128. Yep, this is our new 128. Uh, Uncanny X-Men 341 to 344, Cannonball fights Gladiator, and then some space stuff. <laughs> I'm putting that on my on my list. I like that. Perfect. Um, so where are we going next? Because we have other space adventures today. And cannonball adventures. Yes. Uh, cannonball space adventures. Yeah. So on our cannonball run here, we are going to next stop at New Mutants Annual number one. Steal this planet, a rock fable. This... I like I liked your cannonball run uh, reference in there. That was nice. <laughs> Thank you. I've also never seen cannonball run. Most of my pop culture references are puns based on osmosis. Uh, in case anyone's curious uh but this is uh the first new mutants annual from 1984 written by chris claremont with pencils by bob mcleod and a cover that we're going to start by talking about the cover a cover by bill sinkevich not just any not just any cover this is quite the cover i don't know if it's bill sinkevich's best cover of all time but Mm -hmm. it's one of the first ones i think about it is pretty freaking amazing because it is just straight up as heavy metal as you can get with Lila and her uh, her guitar, like yelling into the into space. And, you know, where you would usually have uh, a scantily clad lady clutching uh, the male lead's leg, you have Sam kind of rocking out in a tank top and some and some punk spikes as Earth blows up in the background. I mean. It's pretty awesome. Way yeah, to go, Bill. <laughs> it looks like like an unused Scorpions album cover in a very good way. And I yeah. am all about that. Yeah, it reminds me a lot. I mean, Sinkevich did a lot of the uh, the Dazzler covers and he was kind of playing with this language on, on those on those uh, pieces as well. But this is just I, you and I were saying before we came on, like, I would love a poster of this. I don't think they made any, but I would love a giant poster of just this artwork. Sink, sink. If you're listening, if you're listening to this podcast, one, please DM us. We will have you on this show in a heartbeat. Two, 
get like 30 of these printed for your next show. I promise you, you will sell out. Like, get these poster, like, concert poster size. Not full poster, just like a concert poster, Bill. Bill, listen to me. Bill, concert poster of these. (laughs) Sell them for 20 bucks a pop. People will not even question buying one of these. No, not at all. I mean, even if even if it was just like a, a small print, I, I would love to have it because um, it's pretty rad. This is um, rad. This is rad. Yeah, as is the story. I, um, I like this, and I like that Bob McCloud is back um, doing pencils and some of his own inks on this. Um, reminds me of the early days of New Mutants, where we're we're getting in here. And is this our first introduction to Lila Cheney? I think it is, right? This is the first appearance of intergalactic rock superstar slash thief, Lila Cheney. Nice. Who she, nice. she does two things in this, in this issue. She has a concert mm-hmm. and tries to steal a planet. <laughs> uh, Her she... motivations for stealing Earth are never that clear. And I love it. She's like, yeah, Earth sucks. And all the new mutants sit there and say, she's not wrong (laughs) well but she's also double crossed at some point so uh this this whole thing goes haywire and they have to save the day um i think we're also forgetting the the major uh other thing that lila does in here which is make out hard with one sam guthrie she does and you know what good for sam (laughs) yeah i mean i think we had questioned maybe the um the ethics of this particular makeout, given the um, the potential age discrepancy between the I've two of them. I've come down to the point that Lila's like Lila's like nineteen. So. Lila's Lila's got to be young, and Sam is the oldest. And and we'll just these are two consenting individuals who are into each other, right? These are two teens just doing teen things, and I am <laughs> fine with that. Sam does get to wear some weird outfits. Like he goes through a phase. He changes for a girl real hard. Yeah, he's doing his best, uh, you know, leather vest, uh, spike belt, chains, uh, leather pants action. Some would there. say that he's hell bent for leather. And <laughs> you know what? I think that's I think that's fair. And by the way, people, yes, I that is an intentional Judas Priest reference because as little as I know about anime, I know a heck of a lot about Judas Priest. There's there's some interesting things here that uh, Bob McCloud does very, very well, like, you know, just in terms of the way he characterizes each of the individual new mutants, I think is done exceptionally well. He mm-hmm. gives each one of them such personality. I will say it does not seem like Bob McCloud has a very good handle on Warlock. Nope, nope. His Warlock um, is Warlock's, Warlock was Bill's. Warlock was Bill St. Kevich's. Bob McCloud's like... Okay, I I just drew some kids and a wolf, but you're making me whatever, Bill. You seem like a talented young kid. <laughs> yeah, Warlock's uh, face in a couple of these locations look like they're taken directly from the same sort of expression um, and repeated because, you know, it doesn't seem like he really has a good handle on what to do with this character. Um, so much so that... I think Chris throws him a bone by letting Warlock turn into a spaceship uh, right out of Alien, which, which is very fun. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think the other thing that he struggles with is the more sci-fi elements of this. 
I don't think his design sense on that is as good as it could be. They just kind of look like generic Marvel had to fill in some Star Wars comics with some mm. aliens. Like that yeah. 80s Marvel house sci-fi. It's not bad. It's just, it's not as imaginative as I'd want it to be. But his character work with the teens is wonderful. Yeah, Bob excels at, you know, body language and expressions. Um, you know, I, I think he does a really good job here of of selling the relationships between the characters. Um, and the story is just kind of fun. You know, uh, this is a long one. Uh, I think it's, you know, like 40 pages. So um, when he's not doing his own inks, the, you know, there's a slight difference in in the artistic quality. But I think there's a consistency through here that makes this a really cool story. And Lila Cheney's great. You know, I've always really liked this character. Um, I, I love that there's just this teleporting thieving punk rocker, uh, you know, floating around the planet. She's she's really great. I think Lila's great. I think Lila's a little undeveloped. Like after all these years, I don't really know what Lila wants to do. She just likes playing music and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she suffers the fate of a lot of teleporters in, uh, you know, the X-Men universe, which is she gets used as a taxi cab um, a lot of the time um, whenever mm -hmm. she ends up. And, you know, I, I do appreciate that, like when she pops up in early X-Force, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't have time to deal with this. <laughs> I'm going to go back and do my own thing. Um, but I, I would love to see somebody we've seen Dazzler get her own, uh, you know, series and one shots. It'd be fun to follow Lila around for a while, wouldn't it? I think it would be very interesting. I'd like to see, I'd like to see Lila pop up in some places. Lila should be on the Guardians of the Galaxy for no good reason. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, I'd like that. That would actually be dope. She would argue with me, with uh, Star-Lord about music because Star-Lord <laughs> is just movie Star-Lord now and we all need to accept that and move on. That's just the way of the world, you know? It's just happened. So aside from the uh, absolutely rocking heavy metal cover, uh, do you like this issue, Zach? It's not my favorite New Mutants okay. issue, honestly, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, but I like it. And that cover goes a long way. And it's it's a fun concept of Lila trying to steal Earth, sell Earth, and then realize, ah, dag, yo, these aliens from Bleep Blorp 7 do not want to buy this planet. <laughs> they want to blow it up. Right. So we'll save the day. I mean, I, I think this is definitely in keeping with, uh, you know, the early issues of New Mutants, uh, Priest and Kevich, and I think it fits in pretty well. Um, so, you know, if you like those, I think this is right in line with those. You'll enjoy this big time. Well, I tell you what, I enjoyed it more than the Cannonball Punches Gladiator and other things issues. Um, yeah, definitely. This is much more classic than that. And, uh, you know, introduces Lila. Um, it's got the full original New Mutants lineup, including Warlock. So this is I think it's pretty cool. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to number 100 on our list? Uncanny X-Men Volume 335, that issue where Gold Balls is famous for an issue. I do. That's a tough one. Um, I think I might like this better if only because it's a little more classic in terms of its lineup, its artist, um, the introduction of Lila Cheney, even though I, I do really like that gold balls issue. Is um, I don't think this is better than, uh, generation X underground special at 89 though. No, I wasn't going to go that high. Um, 
I think we've got some other stories in between here that are maybe a little bit more memorable and 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 hold up a little bit more. How do you feel um, about it compared to Amazing Spider-Man 92, that time Spider-Man and Iceman teamed up? I, I think it's better than that, but I'm not sure that it's better than like the con continuity teams issue where that was very high concept, very cool issue, um, or that Storm IVX tie-in issue. Yeah, um, that was my ceiling right there was that IVX yeah. one. Uh, so, so let's uh, break this 96. Perfect. I think New Mutants Annual number one, steal this planet. Love it. And, we, and, and we've got one more uh, cannonball in space adventure, right? Yes. Uh, this is a story that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I love it dearly. Just in concept, probably more than execution, but it is Avengers World 17. Technically, it's Before Time Runs Out Part 1. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's the story where Cannonball has a kid. Aw. <laughs> so well, we should we should provide some context because when all right, you you mentioned that this is the lead up uh, to the big crossover event of Secret Wars. So we're in sort of like the Hickman verse right now. And yes. if you were reading any of those, you may have remembered that a certain Cannonball um, had really like fallen in love and run away with a member of the Imperial Guard. The first human member of the Imperial Guard, Izzy Kane, Smasher. Do you know how she got, do you know how Izzy became Smasher? Do you know the I, story, Adam? Because it's heard, great. Yeah, can you remind me though? Because it's been a while since I read that. I definitely remember it, but I, I, I'm forgetting right now. Okay, so Izzy's is like an astronomer, like as a hobby. That's what she likes to do. I think she right. might have been going to school for it, but she grows up on a cattle farm. Mm -hmm. uh, and one day, uh, oh, Cass right. Cassandra Nova decided to yes. uh, try and take over the Shi'ar uh, Empire, and Smasher came to Earth to ward them, and he died in front of some cows, and his glasses got left there, and eventually Izzy Kane found them. Right, because like that's her cattle farm, right? Like she yes. lives on. Yeah, it's I, such I, a I, good... I remember that connection. It's such a great callback. Because that's a th that's a throwaway thing from Morrison. That's not even like the third best throwaway cow based thing in the Marvel universe. Because the skull scroll kill crew exists. <laughs> but those are those are the scroll the scroll superheroes that became scroll superheroes because they ate the cows that. Uh, that uh, Reed Richards turned some scrolls into in Fantastic Four number two. Oh my God. What a great continuity dive. And if you're going to get continuity dives, you know it's going to be uh, something that Hickman might pick up because the guy is clearly like interested in encyclopedic storytelling. Um, the number of characters that were involved in his Avengers, New Avengers run, um, it is just amazing. I mean, they, they might as well have given him the keys to the entire line. I mean, they uh, did. They did. Yeah. That's what. That's what they did. And then they canceled the whole line. Yeah. Um, so this is. Hickman didn't is, write this, though. We need to be very clear. Uh, yes. Uh, this is Frank Barbieri, and with yep, with Marco Cicchetto. Yes. And let me say, Marco Cicchetto deserves all the success that he's gotten because his stuff is gorgeous. I, he's great with facial expressions, body language. Um, you know, his camera angles are really interesting. I like the way he frames things. And this is a fun little story because Smasher is being called back up to uh, the guard 
and uh cannonball's basically like well i'm gonna i'm gonna go after her you know after he talks to his mother his mother says sam what are you doing you like this girl (laughs) go go after this girl so he goes to his best friends who have a spaceship and he's like hey can or hey sunspot hey magic you guys uh know the star jammers pretty well right like yeah can you guys get me a spaceship so they get a spaceship and what else is great about this is this is when young cyclops is hanging out with corsair so we get a little crossover between that um it's fun it's also tech it's also definitely not during that uh if you want to go by the actual timeline but that's fine like that doesn't actually make sense with how the cyclops series ended and how black vortex happened but we're gonna ignore black vortex like everyone should oh boy yeah we're gonna have to talk about black vortex at some point aren't we maybe i mean kid cable kind of corrected all that with the fire wings so he did uh... (laughs) anyway so um basically cannonball has to prove himself um because you know if he's gonna be a member of the imperial guard's significant other then he's he's got to be a warrior too and he gets an opportunity by beating up what he thinks is a spaceship and turns out to be kind of like a space squid i mean this story also does feature corsair bragging about the power of love which i absolutely love Corsair is very good. I'm <laughs> mad that the Star Jammers aren't the Guardians of the Galaxy because they kind of should be. That would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? You know, uh, or if they maybe had their own ongoing or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they already mostly were the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like they were what the movie Guardians of the Galaxy are just without 70s pop music and instead 70s mustaches. <laughs> Well, we also, uh, I think it's an excellent point. We, we definitely should get more Star Jammers, but um, this issue also um, features the birth of um, Smasher and Cannonball's kid, um, which is how the issue ends. And it's very good. I like that they have a kid. Yeah, should we talk about the fact that like this is kind of being ignored in current continuity? You say that, and you say that, as I have also said that they, it was brought up in like December. So I'm going to give them that. Okay. But I also think it's very weird that Samuel Zachary Guthrie does not live with his child on their space planet. Uh, yeah. I cable mean... wouldn't or not cable. Cable wouldn't do that either. And Cable taught Cannonball, but also all of Cannonball's family taught Cannonball, hey, maybe friggin' be there for your family. Sure. Like, uh, it doesn't would really do make sense in character. Um, and I feel like, you know, it's one of these things that gets ignored because of, you know, hey, we want Cannonball on X Force. Um, so, of course, he can't be being dad in space. But it's a shame because, you know, these two characters are fun together. Um, I, I like the idea of cannonball sort of being an intergalactic person, you know, or, or maybe smashers on earth. And that's, you know, what makes the story a little more. Yeah, compelling. that's, that's the easier thing to do. How many times has the Shi'ar empire fallen? Just like have that happen off screen or well, because 
have Smasher just be allowed to be back on Earth thanks to Shi'ar Imperial Guard rule XY295 whatever hand wave? Exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, it, it did seem like she was allowed to be there before she was called back. So why couldn't she be there? You know, I, I just... Heck, put Smasher on X-Force. That'd be fun. That'd just be fun. Do that. Yeah, give her a cool costume redesign. You know, she's she's a badass. Like, that'd be fun, I think. See, anyway. guys, these are workable solutions to this problem, and they aren't as bad as Cannonball uh, isn't there for his kid. Also, I'm just realizing Cannonball and Smasher, who are both farm kids, both wear goggles all the time. Aw, they're goggle buddies. This is <laughs> this is making a lot of sense now. This marriage works. Yeah, that's that's their uh, key attraction. You know, they're like, I love those goggles. I love those goggles, too. Um I think this is a fun story. I mean, I I was a big fan of this era in general, and I liked this relationship as it came up in continuity yeah. um, in the Avengers arc. So where do you think this would rank? I um, think this is better than number 90, Astonishing Tales Mojo World, which Hickman wrote with Cannonball. That's a good comparison. Um, and yeah, we've got a much, you know, obviously, even though Hickman's not writing this, there's a much more uh, mature sam on display here um who gets to you know fight for the you know his love for his I, I, they're married right not at this point but they i, I don't know how that works with shiar rules um, i you know what they're they're together they don't i don't think married. i don't think they're putting I labels just, on it all right so you know he fights for his partner and uh you know he gets to be a dad which i think suits him very very well so yes i agree higher than 90. um how far up are you willing to go though i'm trying to look here uh it's definitely not better than x factor 27 gifts which is at 64. so that gives oh, I us wasn't, a yeah i wasn't gonna go that high no, but that gives um, us a good thing. It's probably not as good as that time that Captain America was watching Magneto fight Red Skull. Yeah, it's not as good as Unis, the Untouchable. Um, I don't think this is as good as Kitty versus the Demon at Christmas. Uh, I think it's better. Here's what I think. I think it's better than number 80, The Last Will and Testament of Charles Xavier. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't put it above Fall of the Mutants, though. Um, that's fair. Canny. So that's probably a good place for it. Is this our new 80? This is our new number 80. It's Avengers World 17. Cannonball nice. and Smasher have a baby. Aw. I love those crazy kids, and I, I hope they make it. You know? I, I really... I hope that their marriage does not get swept away in the shackles of continuity and the yeah. ever-repeating status quo. Yeah, there's there's such possibility for, you know, characters to have committed relationships and, and, and be interesting at the same time. And I don't see why it couldn't be here either. You know what I mean? There's, there's no I mean, reason I don't I don't be. know why we don't start a letter writing campaign to Ed Brisson saying, hey, put Smasher <laughs> on X-Force. Guys, please don't harass Ed Brisson. I know I said that in like a serious tone, but I want to be very serious. Don't harass Ed Brisson or any of the creators of X-Men books. Yeah, this might be a good opportunity to just note that of late, the uh, X-Twitter creators have, have really been taking a lot of lumps and 
guys, like if you're seeing it out there, try and temper it. Uh, if it's you just stop. And if you see it, like try and stop these folks from harassing these people. Cause you know, they really do spend a great deal of time sharing their, their time and their efforts with the public. And it's a shame for them to have to, you know, be scuttled off the platforms. Uh, it just drives me nuts. So or if nice. you want to, yeah, go ahead. Or if you want a very selfish reason for it, it's because the more they're on Twitter, the easier they are to access and get booked on this show. So if you want good <laughs> guests, like don't, don't, don't make them mad at us. Yes. For no reason. Yes. Um, wow. I think that was three, Zach. That was three. We finished this. But first off, I think we have one last thank you. And that's again to Sam. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Sam. Sam. Thank you so much for the suggestion. If you want to be just like Sam, you can go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files and you can pitch in money at the $2 a month level. You can have a whole episode handcrafted around a suggestion of your choice. We just got one. Uh, two days ago that I texted Adam and I said, this is dope. I'm so happy for this. I've been waiting. <laughs> so that's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to make our days or ruin it, cause that's happened both ways. Uh, you can, you can pitch at the $2 a month or higher level, uh, different levels of support above $2 a month, get you different frequencies, uh, some different rewards like that. If you, uh, don't really have an episode or you can't support it. We also have a $1 a month level that will allow you early access to what episodes we're going to be doing next. So you can read along with us in the Battle of the Atom book club. You also will get access to a monthly Q&A video live stream question mark thing. We're testing out all of that. And by we, I do mean me. I'm testing out all of that right after this episode is recorded. So by now you will have seen if that has been a success or a stunning failure. I'm excited. I think it could go either way. <laughs> I got faith in you, Zach. I think it's going to be great. I'm going to hit that. I'm going to hit the button on YouTube that says live stream and we're going to see what happens. <laughs> uh, it's going to be great. Uh, oh, I should probably tell people in general where they can find me online, right? Uh, please do. We do that every episode. Uh, you can go to Bal uh, not com. We don't own that URL. Though possibly I should invest. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what we do with that Patreon money. Uh, but you can, uh, more than that, go to XavierFiles.com. That's where I have all the latest and greatest in X-Men news and stories and some articles and all the episodes about the Atom. And you can see me try and tank my career and all of my relationships with Marvel's PR people, which is always fun. <laughs> Choices. I'm, also, I'm also on Twitter at Xavier Files. Adam, where can people find you online? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Uh, we got the last couple pages coming out of Bish and Jube's Attack on the Mansion uh, as we go in from February uh, into March. I think we're going to be wrapping that story up at adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, you can get copies of the Rob Liefeld uh, tribute zine over at Big Cartel, uh, adamrec.bigcartel.com. And if you want daily art in your inbox, just go to, wow, that's a lot of web addresses. I'm so sorry. Patreon.com slash adamrec. And Zach, I think that was a pretty uh, solid episode. That was a solid episode. That's an episode, right? Yeah. What are we doing next time? We've got team ups. Yeah, next time, next time we got some Wolverine ups, Wolverine yes. team ups, and one of these issues may be available in 3D, but you'll never know. <laughs>
Until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!